you, John and Barbara. Tonight and uh, next Sunday night, I'm going to do kind of a couple follow-up messages on, from our series on dispensations. And I want to talk tonight about biblical covenants. You have an outline in the back of your bulletin you can kind of follow. And then uh, a week from tonight, by the way, that's uh, Mother's Day evening, but we have service uh, that evening. Uh, we're taking a Sunday night off in Memorial Day weekend anyway, so we'll have service next Sunday night. And I'll wrap up this series kind of with a comparison of what's called covenant theology with dispensational theology and, and why we lean one way or the other. So we'll do that next week. And uh, so these are just two brief messages on those things. We're going to start out in, in, uh, uh, in Genesis in just a minute, but before we get there, let me explain a few things. Of course, there are covenants in the Bible. Uh, if, you, if someone asks you, name, name a biblical covenant, what would you say? You'd almost say Abraham, yeah, there's Abraham, there's the uh, David's or D the Davidic covenant and so forth. So there are covenants in the Bible, we know that. And uh, we should recognize them, kind of put them in place and in, in, in when they happen and what happened because of these covenants. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. So biblical covenants, uh, though there were agreements between individuals, from time to time in history, uh, those aren't the biblical covenants that we're talking about. We're talking about when God makes a covenant with someone. And he could make that covenant with an individual, with a nation, or with all of mankind. And that's kind of what we're seeing in these, in these covenants. Generally, covenants are divided into two kinds, conditional and unconditional. But we really only have one conditional covenant, and that's the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses. But I'm reserving that to the last one that we'll talk about tonight. All of the others are unconditional in that God makes these pronouncements and says, this is what I will do. And regardless of how people receive that or what they do, God will do those things. And that's why we still look forward to the future when Christ will return and finish some of these covenants and finish what he said uh, he would do. So uh, only the Mosaic is conditional, which means the unconditional ones are the Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the Davidic, and the New Covenant. And then the three, I divided these into three minor covenants that are made with all of mankind. God makes these with all people. Uh, well, the first one, the Edenic covenant, he really made with Adam and Eve in the garden, but uh, the failure of that applies to all of us. And then uh, God makes covenants with Israel, and those are his unconditional covenants. So to begin with, uh, let's go to Genesis 1, and as a matter of fact, all three of these first ones are in Genesis. And by the Edenic covenant... What uh, writers have meant by that is that in the Garden of Eden, God made a covenant with Adam and Eve to do certain things. They had to fulfill their part. He would fulfill his part. And uh, so in Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28, I have there, it could act, I could say to verse 31 to the end of the chapter, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. You notice now how God is pronouncing what things are going to happen. 
over the cattle, over the earth, over the creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, and that's all, by the way, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Now do this, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth, and the rest. Now, there are a few things that, that uh, he has said here that, that we should understand that he said to Adam and Eve. Number one is, propagate the race. Replenish the earth. Really, the, the word is simply fill up the earth. And so uh, they were supposed to reproduce. Of course, they would have. And they, they did, but they did in a fallen state. Had they not fallen, they would have done that in an unfallen state, which would have been a blessing to us all. But they didn't. They're also supposed, secondly, to have dominion or subdue the earth. We see that in verse 28 uh, as well, and uh, dominion back in verse 26 also. So subdue the earth, have dominion over it. So human beings were created to be in control of the earth. As a matter of fact, some have called Adam the king of the earth, and he literally was. He was in control of it all. Uh, it was his to do. Uh, of course, God is the owner, and uh, he has sublet it, so to speak, to Adam. But Adam had dominion over everything, which means over uh, the animal kingdom and all of those kinds of things, of course, as well. And then uh, God told them to take care of the garden. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And so uh, uh, all of the trees are there, and they, have, they are to till the ground. They are to take care of the trees and eat of all the trees. And so they're to take care of the garden. But then lastly, in chapter 2, verse 17, is the instruction versus the uh, tree of good and evil. Verse 16 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. In this sense, this Edenic covenant is conditional. It is, it's conditioned upon, upon what they would do. But this is what they are supposed to do in the garden. Did they succeed or fail? Well, they failed. <laughs> And, of course, they disobeyed this one last command of God. And yet uh, God said, if you do this, you will surely die. And they did. And so God fulfilled and is still fulfilling his part of the Edenic covenant. That way it applies to all of us. We die because of what they did in this garden and uh, how they disobeyed God in this covenant. Well, then secondly, as we move to chapter 3, there is what some people call the Adamic Adam, the Adamic covenant. And that is now that they have sinned and they're going to be cast out of the garden, God is going to tell a few certain things to them. Now, the word covenant is not used here, but this, this is given in a strict sense and we still live with the consequences of all of this. So in chapter 3, verse 14 he begins uh, talking to the serpent. God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
we were talking about snakes last night and how much, you know, we just naturally love snakes, don't we? Uh, when we see one, we're just attracted to it, want to pick it up and cuddle it. Well, God cursed this animal, put him on his belly, and uh, there's been kind of an animosity, but especially between the woman, <laughs> you know, and her seed and these serpents. So uh, here is the curse upon the serpent. And then, verse 15, there's a promise, though, of uh, a redeemer. I will put enmity, still speaking to the serpent, between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. That becomes important because the seed, beginning with uh, her seed all the way through Abraham, then David, all the way down to Mary, uh, and finally Christ is born, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So, of course, here is the first promise of Messiah given in this Adamic covenant, a promise of a Redeemer to bring things back to the way God created it, to bring uh, back to the way it was before sin came. Then there is the uh, curse, if you will, or at least uh, the penalty upon the woman in verse 16. The woman, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, but he shall rule over thee. And so here's the pain of childbirth given to the woman. And then to Adam, verse 17, uh, through 19 really, uh, he said unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee. I'm glad that I'm fulfilling this covenant in my garden a lot. Uh, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. Out of it was thou taken unto dust thou art, until dust thou shalt return. Maybe he's reinforcing to Adam here, uh, yes, you died in your spiritual walk with me. Spiritually, they had died, but physically, they had not died yet. And he's saying, you know, what is death? You will, be, you will go back to the dust out of uh, which you were made. Then uh, there is the mention then of the physical death in verse 19, from dust thou art to dust thou shalt return. And then the removal of the garden from verse 20 uh, through verse 24, uh, he puts them out of the garden where might have still been a place to come and meet with God, but they cannot live there. And uh, an angel keeps them from coming back uh, into the garden. Uh, some people believe that maybe they could have come, they could come back to that place and worship the Lord, but they can't live there anymore. Others believe that they were not allowed to come in at all. Either way, uh, that's part of the penalty. So here is the covenant given in Eden, and then the covenant given to Adam and uh, Eve and the serpent, and therefore to all the rest of us. So this is a covenant with all of mankind, and you and I suffer these things to this day because of what happened. Well, then we go all the way up to chapter 9, to the days of Noah. The, of course, you know what happened, that uh, now that sin had entered into the world, it uh, contaminated things very quickly. And so when, when Noah comes along uh, in the genealogy of chapter 5, and uh, then in chapter 6, uh, he, we're, we talk about Noah, and we know that he builds the ark, and God floods the world, 
and uh, starts again, so to speak, because of the, the sin that was in the world at that time. By the way, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So uh, things will be worse in our day and why Jesus Christ will come back uh, and why there will be a tribulation of God's judgment upon the earth, uh, not by water anymore, uh, but by fire. And so that judgment is yet coming. But as you look at chapter 9, really uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, this covenant goes all the way uh, almost through the entire chapter, but at least through 17. But let me show you a few things. They are now to replenish the earth in chapter 9, verse 1. Just as the same command was given to Adam and Eve, now it's given to Noah. Well, the earth is empty again, at least of people. And uh, the animals are going to replenish, and so are human beings. For the first time, they're allowed to eat the animals. Verse 3 says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so they were probably not meat eaters up until this time. Now they are. Uh, so I guess if a person chooses not to eat meat, that's your own choice. But there's certainly nothing that makes you holier than anyone else if you do that. As a matter of fact, God gave us meat to eat and we're instructed in the New Testament to be thankful for it uh, when we have it to eat. Then there is the instruction of human government. And you know that it is verse 6 that uh, we have uh, put in these words about capital punishment, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And the reason you're going to do that is because in the image of God made he man. Rather than God running down every violator and dealing with every murderer, now you are going to do it. You're going to do it collectively. You're going to do it in a governmental sense. And so even when we get up to the letters of Paul, Paul reminds us that government uh, and the law enforcement, uh, are, they are ministers of God for this reason. And there's no contradiction, by the way, between uh, government taking a person's life as a penalty and the command to not kill. Because as a matter of fact, one of the penalties for not Obeying the Ten Commandments was that you'd be put to death. So God never saw a uh, contradiction here. That's why you're not to kill, because if you do, that's what will happen to you. And that's never been rescinded. So governments have that authority. So here's that. And then in verse 11, he reminds uh, Noah that he will never again flood the earth. And so in verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more of a flood to destroy the earth. He'll never do that again, so don't worry about it. Although our neighbors down in southern Missouri might have thought that God forgot uh, last week or two. It's been pretty bad down there. And, and of course, you know, flooding happens, but not a universal flood like Noah's day, of course. And then... So that they uh, are reminded of that, verse 13 says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And evidently, because of the water that was above the earth in the canopy before the flood, uh, rainbows were not possible because of that. But now that that canopy of water is collapsed and I'm on the earth, and now we have an open sky up to the heavens, uh, the reflection of the sun and the earth and the water in the air can cause a, uh, a rainbow. 
and you say, well, you know, isn't God kind of taking advantage here <laughs> of the natural thing? God created everything, didn't he? He created the circumference of the earth, and he created the water cycle, and he created the, the rotation around the sun, and he did it for a lot of reasons. One of those was to create a rainbow, which he did starting in Noah's day. And you could look at that rainbow and say, uh, you know, uh, there's always a rainbow in the, during the rain, <laughs> promising that that will never happen again. There's also a curse at the end of this chapter in verse 25 upon Canaan, because after these things, Noah uh, became drunk uh, after planting a vineyard and using it to create intoxicating beverage, and then his children uh, could not handle that properly, and especially Ham's son Canaan, and so he is cursed uh, above the others. And by the way, the Canaanites then, in the time of Joshua and the conquest of the land, the Canaanites were exceedingly sinful. And when you read about how God said, go in and destroy them and wipe them out, and you wonder how can God do such a thing, it begins here with Canaan's sin and those of his descendants to the place where God said, then I will wipe them out. If God made them, God can do it. Uh, and we can't ask him why. So we have these three lesser covenants or minor covenants, but we want to talk more about the major covenants. And so uh, if you'll uh, look at those and uh, just go a little further to Genesis chapter 12, and we have the first one we call the Abrahamic covenant. Now, a few chapters after the life of Noah, Abraham comes along, and, uh, and by the way, just a few hundred years, it's not that long between uh, Noah and Abraham. And you can read the genealogy of it in the chapter before. But in, in chapter 12, at the end of chapter 11, he's called out of Ur of the Chaldees, he's brought into the land, and then God says to him, the Lord God said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. Remember that word, land. I will make of thee a great nation, remember seed. I will bless thee and make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. And then thirdly, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So if you're, as you're looking at that list that I made for you, you have, uh, I could have broken it down further, maybe I should have. So you have... Uh, the major covenants, and you have the Abrahamic covenant, and then it's followed by three, the Palestinian, the Davidic, and the new covenant. Now, if you, if you drop off the mosaic at the bottom, then all of those major covenants are unconditional covenants made by God with Israel. And by the way, uh, these are made with Israel and no one else. These covenants are theirs. They're really not even ours, but we're going to benefit from them in certain ways. Remember Romans 9, 4 says of, of the Jews, who are Israelites, to, who, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, Paul is saying. Or in Ephesians 2, 12, he says that at that time you Gentiles were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope without God in the world. So these covenants, these promises belong to Israel. So though we're looking at the Abrahamic covenant first, I pointed out to you that the Abrahamic covenant consists of a land, a seed, and a blessing. In other words, this covenant with Abraham is threefold. I'm going to do these three things for you. I'm going to give you a land, and it, that land will belong to Israel forever. I'm going to give you a seed, and that seed will culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will rule in that land. And I'm going to then give you a blessing whereby all nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see that in the new covenant. So the next three are outgrowths of the Abrahamic covenant. These are all unconditional. You can draw a line then before the mosaic because that's a conditional covenant. And uh, it's not necessarily an outgrowth of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, uh, here we have uh, this covenant made with Abraham. And a few significant things happen. It's in chapter 15, verse 6, that uh, Abraham believes God and it's counted to him for righteousness. You remember that verse? He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's the Apostle Paul's favorite Old Testament verse. Paul quotes this verse all the time. And, and he, point, he quotes this verse to show to us that salvation is by faith. Because Abraham believed. Believe is to have faith. And when he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. And then Paul uh, takes us up to chapter 17 of Genesis and verse 10 and following, where Abraham is given the right of circumcision for all of his male posterity. And Paul uses that to show which came first the work of circumcision or the act of faith. Faith came first, followed by the circumcision. So faith comes before works, Paul says. Uh, and that's true. So Abraham believed these things. Now, uh, that Abrahamic covenant, uh, we'll talk more about next, next Sunday night also in relation to uh, how we believe about covenant theology and so forth. But this is probably of all of these covenants, the Abrahamic covenant is the largest, the biggest. This is the one that has to be fulfilled and it's not been fulfilled yet. They don't have the land, the seed, and the blessing yet. All of these things are to come uh, in the future. Well, the next three covenants are an outgrowth of that. First of all, and, and by the way, notice the... Uh, the scriptures. So here you have God speaking to Abraham all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And then we go up to Deuteronomy 30 and then 2 Samuel 7 and then Jeremiah 31. So all of these covenants come in time. Abraham has this covenant, this promise, but God is going to reiterate the Abrahamic covenant. I told you I'd give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. And so now, in the days of Moses and Deuteronomy, God reinstitutes or reemphasizes, might say, the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy 30. So go up there with me to Deuteronomy 30. Israel has crossed the desert. They're ready to enter into the land. And God is going to give them this covenant. Some people point out different verses, but basically verse 1 through 10 of Deuteronomy 30 is the Palestinian covenant. Uh, 
Some people uh, include everything from chapter 28 through chapter 30, but uh, we, we see it in these 10 verses. Let me point out a few things that happen in this Palestinian covenant. And, and let me put a footnote here. They're about to go into the land and conquer the land under Joshua. That's not going to be the fulfillment of this. Even though they go in and they live there, it's never entirely theirs, and it hasn't been entirely theirs to this day. God is going to promise them a land that goes from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> uh, it's all going to be theirs, and that has never been fulfilled yet. Well, first of all, uh, in the first three verses of chapter 30, they are scattered due to their unfaithfulness. He says, it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return unto the Lord. Notice, when were they scattered among all the nations? Well, the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. And those won't be for a thousand years after this. And so uh, he is speaking entirely into that future. After I scatter you among the nations, after that I'm going to gather you into this land. So it wasn't fulfilled by Joshua. It wasn't fulfilled by the kings of Israel either. Verse 2, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart, with all thy soul. And of course, they've never done that either. Then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. All of this is going to happen when Jesus returns in glory. This is one of the great things about his glorious return to the earth. And when he sets up this millennial kingdom, he is going to gather these Jewish believers from all over the earth, bring them back to the land of Israel, reestablish them as a nation and be king over them in that land. And that, this is why, of course, that we uh, as a Christian nation or a nation that recognizes Christian principles recognizes this, that there is a future for Israel. That land over there belongs to Israel. God deeded it to them, and, and, and he's not done with it yet. And when he says, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse of thee, we better be careful about that. Well, as we read on, all the way down to verse 6, there's going to be this future repentance the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. There will be a Messiah among them. He will come, as we've seen already. But uh, the Lord thy God who put all these curses upon thine enemies. Uh, let me, uh, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, Israel will be restored in verse 5 into the land. Verse 6, Israel will be converted or repent. And then in verse 7, the enemies will uh, be subdued. Let me ask you this. Have the enemies of Israel been subdued in the Middle East? <laughs> so this has not been fulfilled yet. And then there will be full blessing upon them. Verse 9, the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land for good. The Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. And so we see all of these promises given to Israel for this land. 
and it's important. So we find uh, the New Testament uh, in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, before he was stoned, is giving the history of Israel, and he says, Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, speaking of Abraham, and dwelt in Charon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed into this land wherein you now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession to his seed after him when he had no child. If we went back to Exodus 6-4, God said it like this to Moses, uh, And I have also established my covenant with them, with Israel, to give them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. So these covenants uh, are made with Israel for this land. That's called the Palestinian covenant. Then we have the next covenant, which is the Davidic covenant, which relates to the seed of Abraham. And we have to go to our right a little farther to 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we have this covenant, because David now is old. He's going to uh, die, and he's wondering uh, whether he should build the temple or not. No, your son will do that. And so in that process of explaining this to David, this covenant is made. So notice these things. 2 Samuel 7, uh, beginning in verse 12. When thy days shall be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. David will have a son. Notice the emphasis on the seed again. We began with the woman, right? Uh, with Eve, being promised that it was her seed through which the earth would be blessed. Then we came to Abraham, and he's going to bless Abraham's seed. Now we're to David, and he's going to bless David's seed. The son will build the temple. He's speaking partly of Solomon here. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. But notice, forever, there's always this mixing of uh, what's going to happen with Solomon, but what's going to happen forever. His throne will be forever, in verse 13. Also, he will, God will chastise him. Speaking of Solomon, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chase him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. But then, notice verse 16, thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now Solomon couldn't have fulfilled that. He did it in his lifetime, but no further. There has to be a further seed of David that can uh, accomplish this. So, for example, we have David saying in Psalm 89, 2 and 3, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Chapter, uh, Psalm 89, 34. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, as a faithful witness in heaven. And even again, Peter, 
at Pentecost in Acts 2.30 says, Therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. David understood, being a prophet, that this reference to the seed is not just to Solomon, but is to the Messiah himself. David knew that and prophesied often, though I will die and my body will go back to the dust, when that Messiah dies, his body will not even be corrupted. David understood all of these things, that this was God's uh, covenant with him. So uh, you have here a Davidic covenant, and uh, there are many things to this covenant too. As uh, David's throne will be there in the millennial kingdom, Christ will be sitting on a throne, but David will be there in the kingdom. They will have their place in the promised land, uh, and David will rule and Christ will rule uh, in that millennial kingdom. It will be a great time uh, because God will keep his promise to David, a promise that has not been totally fulfilled yet. He doesn't have that throne, and it's not forever yet. And we disagree with our covenant friends uh, when they say, well, it's being fulfilled now because Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and is sitting on a throne now. But that is not David's throne and is not in Israel. <laughs> He's at the right hand of the Father, yes. Uh, and uh, he is God's son, yes. He's the creator of everything, yes. But these promises are for the land of Israel and for David's throne there. And that has to be fulfilled yet. Then, beyond that, there's the new covenant. If you'll go much farther now to Jeremiah and chapter 31, there is a new covenant. Now, Jeremiah then lives all the way down to the captivity times. So we have come from Abraham in roughly 2000 B.C., uh, we skipped over Moses. We'll come back to him in 1400 B.C. We've gone to David, uh, or we've gone to Moses' day in, in the Palestinian covenant in 1400. And then we went to David in 1000 B.C. Now we're jumping down to Jeremiah in 600 B.C. And Jeremiah in his prophecies says what God wants him to say. And he says in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. These verses are quoted in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, they're not unfamiliar to us. Also, there's a, a reference to the new covenant and a description in Ezekiel 36, but we'll not turn there right now. So there are benefits here uh, in uh, in this whole chapter, I read 31 because that's where the, the name of the new covenant is stated. All the way back to verse 8, again, there is the promise that this will be done in the land of Israel. I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. Also, there is a national conversion seen in verse 11. The Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand that was stronger than he. And verse 33 uh, again, in the, the, where we were a minute ago, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now we would have to go to Ezekiel 36 for this, uh, but in Ezekiel 36, and, and, and uh, 
I will turn there, and you're welcome to turn with me if you can real quickly. But in Ezekiel 36, there's also a, a further explanation of the new covenant. So in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so uh, when this happens, all Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11, and they will be regenerated by the Holy Spirit in the land of Israel, uh, God's people, and the number one nation on the earth. That's not happened yet, obviously, but it's coming. They will, the land will be restored uh, totally. Verse 28 again, you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And then Christ will reign even personally. Uh, and in verse 23, I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And how many times in the rest of the prophets do they prophesy that there's a time coming when Christ will be with them there in, their, in that kingdom of God? So all of this has to happen. Now, um, I don't want to take much time of this. I have kind of a footnote. I'll pass over it quickly because of the time. But uh, among good men, uh, they kind of differ as to how this new covenant is applied to us today. Because we speak of an old covenant and a new covenant, only we use the word testament. <laughs> and we say the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, that we use that terminology because uh, some have believed strongly that uh, parts of this new covenant are fulfilled in us. And others say, no, no part of it is fulfilled in us. It's all for Israel. And so we kind of have an in-house discussion. If you heard one person saying it one way and somebody else another, it's not at all heresy. It happens all the time. As a matter of fact, in our dispensational understanding... Uh, if you uh, always carried a Schofield reference Bible as a boy, as I did, uh, about 100 years before Schofield, a man named uh, John Nelson Darby uh, kind of put legs to the dispensational movement and said, no, these things only apply to Israel. It's on, these, the new covenant will only be fulfilled and in no other way when Jesus returns one day and sets up his kingdom. And there are still many fundamental Baptists. I know some personally good, very good men and defend it very well and still believe that view. Then Schofield came along at the turn of the, uh, the 19th or 20th century. And uh, in the old Schofield Bible, if you have that old Bible, uh, he says, matter of fact, I took a couple quotes out of it. In that, he says of this new covenant, these chapters constitute a kind of summary of prophecy concerning Israel as a nation, looking especially to the last days, the day of the Lord and the kingdom age to follow. He says also, the new covenant secures the perpetuity, future conversion, and blessing of Israel. But he would say that uh, the, our universal salvation comes to us because of this covenant. We are saved today because God made a new covenant with Israel. Now, later, if you have a new Schofield Reference Bible that was published in the 60s, uh, they expand that a little more. I like the new, the new Schofield Bible. And they say, 
Although certain features of this covenant have been fulfilled for believers in the present church age, the the covenant remains to be realized for Israel according to the explicit statement of verse 31, which it hasn't been yet. So I said all of that, just for record, (laughs) to say that I think it's a good possibility to look at it this way. There is a new covenant for Israel, and it's not been fulfilled yet, and it's going to be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But in that Abrahamic covenant, when he said, in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed, that blessing, which is seen in the new covenant, has kind of, can I use the term, spilled over onto us. (laughs) Do you know that the Bible says, you know the phrase, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? right? Where is that? There you go. Romans. 10.13, 10.13, right? We all know Romans 10.13. Do you know that, that that is first given by Joel describing the kingdom of God? Because in the kingdom of God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter uses it at Pentecost, and Paul uses it later in Romans. So he borrows an expression from the new covenant time and says, this can apply to you and this only. So you might say the only part of the new covenant that applies to us today is this blessing through Abraham and through this covenant that when you call on the Lord, you will be saved too. But for us, it's kind of like we're pilgrims and strangers. We're uh, traveling and there's a time coming when we need to stop up ahead. So we're going to call ahead and make a reservation (laughs) and our reservation isn't going to take place until we get there. And when you die, if you've called on the name of the Lord, you have a reservation in the kingdom of God. And it will be given to you at that time. So in that sense, we participate, I think, in this part of the new covenant. Well, again, uh, it's it's kind of fun to hear people talk about the different uh, things. I want to point out one more thing. And that is the Mosaic covenant, which is the only conditional covenant, excuse me, and uh, we see it, if we, want, if we can go all the way back to Exodus 19, when God had brought them out of Egypt to, the land of, to, to Mount Sinai, and he's going to give them the land. And these things are being spoken to Moses when he's up on the mountain with God. And uh, we see it especially in verses 5 through 8, but really from chapter, in chapter 19 from verse 1 all the way through that uh, they must do these things and be his people. But in verses 5 through 8, you see this especially. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, notice the word covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation These are the words which also speak unto the children of Israel. Notice the if and the then in verse 5. That makes it a conditional covenant. If you will obey my voice, then this will happen. If you do this, then I will do this. That was always the case with the law. We're looking at the book of of Samuel this morning and the time of the judges. And uh, so when they disobeyed, God punished them. When they cried out to God and did right, God blessed them. Then they disobeyed, God punished them. Then they called out to God, God blessed them. It was, if you'll do this, then I will do this. 
And it was a conditional thing all the way through, of course. And uh, in verse 8, they agree. Verse 8 of chapter 19, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So they agreed to do this and to have this conditional relationship with the Lord. Of course, they try to keep it up, and this is in 1400 B.C., and it will, they'll, they'll be good and bad about it all the way down to 600 B.C., and then God will scatter them, and they've been scattered ever since. Now, also, you know that most of the Old Testament is written under this time of the Mosaic Covenant. So from the writings of Moses... And when he begins in the book of Exodus describing how they came out of Egypt all the way through Malachi and into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all under the Mosaic Covenant. It's all under this law, under this part of the Old Testament. There are three parts of the law. There's the moral part, which involves the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. There's the civil part of the law where... This is what's going to happen from the civil authorities if you don't obey me. They can do this to you. And then there's the ceremonial or religious part where here's what the priests do. Here are the sacrifices. Here are the feast days. Here are all of these kinds of things. This was a, this was a theocracy, a union of church and state. It is the only one that has ever existed. Although Islam promotes by Sharia law a theocracy today, but of course it's not of God. They think it is, but it's not. This was the only theocracy that God ever gave, and uh, it was pretty tough to live under. Uh, there were stonings for various things. There were punishments that we're glad we're not under today. But that lasted until the time Jesus came, and we're not under the law. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, there are multiple verses uh, about this, Galatians 3.19, Wherefore then serveth the, serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. It was added in the days of Moses until the seed, who is Jesus Christ, came. The law lasted from Moses to Jesus Christ, not before it, not after it. It was just during that time, Galatians 3.25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, because that law was a yoke of bondage. Hebrews 7.12, for the priesthood being changed, there must of necessity be also a change of the law. And there was. And so some things have continued just because they always continue. Moral things like telling the truth. Uh, uh, those kinds of things will always be reiterated in every dispensation. Some things do not continue. Sabbath keeping does not continue. As much as our Seventh-day Adventist friends might think it does, it does not. It didn't start until the law, and it has not continued since the law. It started and stopped with the Mosaic Law, that Saturday worshiping. Uh, so we don't do that. We don't do the sacrifices anymore. We don't have priests anymore. We don't have a temple anymore. All of those kinds of things. So what is the church? The church is a parenthesis. <laughs> you remember God uh, gave 70 weeks through Daniel's prophecy, and between the 69th and the 70th week, there's this gap of unknown amount of time. That's the time we live in. 
We live between the 69th and the 70th week. We live in the times of the Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. And I like what the way Paul describes it in Romans 11. I'll close with this. He says, I say then, Romans 11, 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? That is, did Israel stumble and they will no more be a nation? God forbid, he says. But rather, through their fall, because they crucify their Messiah, salvation has come unto the Gentiles, praise the Lord for that, to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentile, how much more their fullness? If you think God has blessed us now in the age of grace because we have salvation uh, through a crucified Messiah, think of the blessing we're going to have when we have a reigning Messiah on David's throne, and we will be there. And then in verse 15, he says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And we'll live with them in those. So we, will, we, we are going to be blessed and we benefit from all of these covenants God made with Israel. Okay, so that is a, a quick overview with a lot of information. But uh, I know that you love your Bible and you love to study these things and it gives you uh, an outline here and uh, you can look those verses up again and read it again. It helps you with your understanding, not only of the dispensational times, but also then of these promises and covenants that God made with his people. All right, stand with me if you will. And we'll pray, and uh, I picked a song tonight that will just kind of remind us of God's promises and faithfulness. We'll sing that in a minute. Father, thank you now for uh, reminding us of these things in your word. Uh, as we have sat here tonight and thumbed through our Bibles and tried to look at this, we've said a lot in a short amount of time, I know. But help us, Father, to have the mind of Christ and the illumination of your spirit. May we understand and benefit from these things, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John, come and lead us in that song.